Catholic Connection is a co-production of Ave Maria Radio and EWTN Radio and carried across the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. Welcome to Catholic Connection with Teresa Tamio, keeping you connected to your faith and your world. Teresa tackles the issues of faith and culture, the pro-life message, and media awareness. And now, here's Teresa Tamio. It's the middle of the week. It's July 19th. It's a Wednesday. Hope it's going well for you and you're enjoying the summer. I know it's been uh, very hot in many areas of the country, so just uh, hang in there. But hopefully you can get some enjoyment Excuse me, out of the summer months. We hope that and pray that for you. Coming up in the program today... Very important topic we're going to dive into, hopefully a little bit deeply. We'll have two segments with Christy Wilkins and Jennifer Kirsch. And I came up with this idea. Actually, I didn't come up with the idea. It was given to me by a wonderful deacon, Deacon Pete, in the Diocese of Austin. And he and his wife were attending the Diaconate Couple Retreat that Deacon Dom and I gave for the Diocese and Diaconate Couples a couple weekends ago. And we got to chatting when I was at selling and signing books, and we were talking about this issue. And I said, and he was talking about how very concerned he is and what he's trying to do as a deacon at his parish as well. And I said, that is a really important topic in terms of this issue of people with disabilities and special needs. How are we serving them in the church? National Catholic Register did a big article on this last month, right after the bishops decided to update their document on this. And so Christy and Jennifer are very familiar with this topic for a number of reasons, and they'll join us at 15 minutes past the hour to talk about what's being done and what we can do to make sure we're addressing the needs and so they feel welcome, so all feel welcome at our parishes and in our dioceses as well. And then we go to Rome for Joan Lewis with the latest Vatican News. And Joni has been, as all the residents and citizens in Roma and other cities, big cities in Italy and the entire country and much of Europe, similar to the U.S., extreme heat there as well. We're emailing each other back and forth, and she's telling me that they still have triple-digit temps in Rome. And it's a whole different ball game, brothers and sisters. If you've been to Rome, you know what it's like. It's always warmer in the cities, and, and you don't want to be in Rome in July if you can avoid it because it's extremely warm and even warmer than, say, being in the countryside, obviously. So, And then, of course, we're monitoring the visit this week of Cardinal Zuppe, who is in D.C. Joan's got her eyes on that. And also some other updates coming out of Rome. She will fill us in with our report, our own Jones Rome, coming up at 39 minutes past the hour. Let's take a look, speaking of the heat and the weather, in terms of what's coming up, what we can expect the next couple of days as we move into the weekend. We have excessive heat persisting, according to the National Weather Service, in the southwest and southern parts of the country. And then Hawaii, the big island, is looking at a tropical storm, Calvin. So those are the big weather stories. We have extremely dangerous and long-duration heat waves continuing over the southwest well into next week with oppressive heat indexes spreading across the south-central and southeastern part of the country. And they say this will occur for the next several days throughout the weekend. Tropical Storm Calvin, as we just mentioned, passing very close to the Big Island of Hawaii through today bringing a period of heavy rain, high surf, and locally strong winds. So that is the weather forecast for today and for the rest of the week. We'll keep you updated. Thanks for tuning in to EWTN. Already three minutes past the hour. A lot of news to get through, so let's get started right now on a Wednesday. Well, Louisiana, one step closer to banning transgender surgeries for minors. The state house voting yesterday to override the governor's veto of a bill prohibiting hormone therapy and puberty blockers for children, along with gender transitioning surgeries. 
The governor rejecting that bill last month. The Louisiana Senate will now consider overriding the veto as well. According to the Catholic Loop, over 5,000 former and current military service members signed a letter supporting Senator Tommy Tuberville from Alabama and his blocking of Defense Department appointments until the Biden administration stops funding military service members' abortions. The letter published yesterday addressed to Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer and Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell voicing support for Republican Tuberville and his recent actions on the Senate Armed Services Committee. Since March, he has blocked the nominations of senior Defense Department officials, according to The Loop, forcing them to undergo time-consuming state confirmation processes. Now, he has also blocked the appointments to protest a Defense Department measure that uses taxpayer funding to provide abortions for current military service members. The senator arguing the military's funding of abortions is illegal because it violates the 1976 Hyde Amendment, the amendment banning the use of federal funds to cover almost all abortions. A great update on the movie Sound of Freedom. You'll find it on the Catholic News Agency website at catholicnewsagency.com. They're reporting that the movie, which of course is all about human trafficking and made by Catholic filmmakers and starring Catholic actor Jim Caviezel, continues to top the box office charts. The film, as a matter of fact, CNA reports, currently sits right behind the new Mission Impossible at the number two spot on the box office charts, beating out other expected summer hits. In over one week, CNA says the film increased its weekly gross revenue from $20 million to $27 million, totaling a gross revenue of $85.5 million since opening. Braden Purdy, who heads up the theatrical distribution for Angel Studios, saying in a press release, there have only been 10 wide-release movies in box office history that have had a second weekend increase greater than 35% over their opening weekend. All of them achieving this milestone during Christmas. Angel Studios is the only studio to accomplish this feat during the summer blockbuster season with the movie The Sound of Freedom. And the city of Steubenville, Ohio, has been ranked as one of the 10 best cities in America to raise a Catholic family. Crisis Magazine and the city's connection to multiple Catholic churches in the area, ties to Franciscan University, and also several theologians living in the area have helped Steubenville remain, the report says, a Catholic gem in America. In other news this morning, the two IRS whistleblowers who claimed the Justice Department interfered with the criminal investigation into Hunter Biden, as Brian Shook tells us, will testify today at a House hearing. House Republicans set the hearing after one of the whistleblowers, IRS supervisory agent Gary Shapley, went public with the allegations. The lead U.S. attorney in the Hunter Biden case and Attorney General Merrick Garland have denied the allegations. Last month, the president's son reached a deal to plead guilty in the tax and gun case and agreed to accept about two years probation and enter a diversion program. An 18-year-old Colorado man now facing allegations he planned to travel to Iraq to join ISIS. Stacy Harvey, who's a criminal justice expert, says teens are especially susceptible to such ideologies and are targeted often by hate groups. I don't think their brains are fully developed yet to fully understand what they're doing. I think they're just trying to find somewhere where they belong. It's almost like um, sexual grooming of a young child. Devin Meyer arrested at Denver's International Airport last week on charges of providing material support to a terrorist organization. 
Investigators began looking into Meyer's behavior last year after being alerted that he was talking about traveling to the Middle East to join ISIS. An undercover agent began talking with him and documenting those alleged plans leading to his arrest last week as he attempted to board a plane to Turkey. Some passengers aboard a Las Vegas flight to Atlanta fainting while waiting for takeoff due to the extreme heat. The Delta Airlines captain apologizing over the intercom about the lack of air conditioning. Uh, apologize for the situation being very hot in the back there. This is the best that our uh, cooling is going to occur. Now, officials say it was Monday afternoon that this occurred, and the passengers were waiting in 111-degree heat. And at least five people had to be wheeled off the plane, and the travelers were given the choice to leave. But the captain also said it would take days for them to get another flight to their destination. Officials say passengers were asked to disembark back into the airport after four hours, four hours on the hot plane. Delta Airlines says they're investigating the cause of the situation, and they've already compensated the travelers who were on board. New York State is offering financial assistance to homeowners in the Hudson Valley, as Scott Pringle explains, those who sustained significant damage from the recent flash flooding. Well, the governor is making $3 million available. Grants of up to $50,000 will be awarded to eligible homeowners for flood-related critical home repairs. Orange County Executive Steve Newhouse says there's significant damage. I have about 1,000 houses that have, or structures, that have significant damage from water, and people are living in right now. I have 20 that are red flag, which means they should be demoed. There's also some without clean drinking water, gas, and electric still. Meanwhile, the governor is hoping FEMA will declare a major disaster declaration for what she calls last week's 1,000-year flooding event. And a U.S. soldier is now in custody in North Korea. One of our service members who was on a tour... Uh, willfully and without authorization cross the military demarcation line. That's Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin telling reporters yesterday that officials are working to address the incident and notify the family. Apparently they were notified earlier today. Reports say the troop was being escorted back to the U.S. for disciplinary reasons and somehow managed to slip through security and then joined a U.N. tour of the demilitarized zone. The soldier has not yet been publicly identified. The U.S. Coast Guard, as Lucinda Key tells us, recently seizing thousands of pounds of drugs at sea. The Coast Guard intercepted $158 million worth of coke and pot. Investigators say that's about 11,600 pounds of cocaine and 5,500 pounds of marijuana. Crews seized the drugs between May and July during counter-narcotics patrols in the eastern Pacific Ocean. They detained at least 14 people, all turned over to the DEA for processing. San Diego's Coast Guard Cutter Steadfast helps support the operation. Well, federal officials are investigating after an airplane emergency slide was found in the backyard of a Chicago home. Officials say the slide is from a United Airlines flight and it caused damage to the home Monday afternoon. The homeowner saying he heard a loud boom, then went outside and saw the slide in his mother's garden. Officials say the FAA is working with United to figure out exactly what happened. And finally, in our news segment, in almost 12 minutes past the hour, Mark Mayfield tells us a new report says nearly 800,000 Americans die or become disabled each year after being misdiagnosed. The report from Johns Hopkins University says patients are being diagnosed with the wrong conditions across a range of healthcare settings each year. The researchers estimate around 370,000 of those patients die from their misdiagnosis, while over 420,000 are permanently disabled. The lead author of the report calls it a public health emergency. 
According to the report, the five diseases most commonly misdiagnosed are stroke, sepsis, pneumonia, blood clots, and lung cancer. And if you're just tuning in to EWTM, we'll give you a quick weather forecast again. National Weather Service saying it is going to be very hot in several parts of the country. We have extremely dangerous and long-duration heat waves continuing over the southwest well into next week with oppressive heat indexes spreading across the south, central, and southeast U.S., and that will happen through this weekend. There's a tropical storm. Tropical Storm Calvin passing very close, meanwhile, to the Big Island of Hawaii, and that is through today, and that will bring a big period of heavy rain, high surf, and locally strong winds there. Coming up on our Wednesday morning edition of Catholic Connection Coast to Coast and Around the Globe, we're going to address the issue of those with special needs, disabilities. How are we welcoming them into the church, into our parishes, church activities? Are we doing a better job? There was some good news out of the bishops meeting earlier in the spring, late summer, early spring, late early spring, well, kind of in the summer though too, June, where the bishops got together for their meeting and decided they needed to and are going to be updating their letter addressing this issue. So we'll talk about that. And then Joan Lewis from Rome. Speaking of heat, she feels your pain. They've had triple digits in Roma, the eternal city for some time now. It is a Wednesday morning edition of Catholic Connection. Thanks for tuning in to EWTN, and we'll be right back. The destination for great Catholic audio programming is EWTN Podcast Central, featuring the best of EWTN radio, as well as faith-filled podcasts from our friends and affiliates across the nation, all in one place, all free. If it's central to the faith, you can find it on EWTN Podcast Central. It's like podcast heaven. Visit EWTN.com slash radio slash podcasts today. This program is brought to you in part by Charity Mobile, a proud partner of Ave Maria Radio for over 15 years. Charity Mobile is the pro-life cell phone company and has sent nearly $2 million to thousands of pro-life charities. 4G LTE coverage is available nationwide, and 5% of your monthly plan price goes to your favorite pro-life charity. A video introduction is available at CharityMobile.com. Charity Mobile, everyday living, effortless giving. CharityMobile.com. Would you get on a plane that doesn't have a pilot? Investing in passive index mutual funds may present the same issue. The Ave Maria mutual funds are actively managed by seasoned investment professionals to help you meet your investment goals in a morally responsible way. Ave Maria funds are managed to conform to pro-life and pro-family values. Long-term investors could invest in the no-load Ave Maria mutual funds. You can learn more about the Ave Maria mutual funds at 866-AVE-MARIA or visit AveMariaFunds.com. People ask how they can care for older family members who can't fully care for themselves. One answer is Visiting Angels, America's choice in senior home care. Visiting Angels assists adults nationwide with 600 locations to continue living at home and not have to move into a nursing home. Their caregivers provide assistance in hygiene, meals, and light housework. Services are provided up to 24 hours per day, and you can select your caregiver before service begins. More information, including franchise opportunities, is on the web at visitingangels.com. Welcome back, Catholic Connection. It is a Wednesday morning. It is July 19th. If you haven't heard, the bishops have voted to update 
and come up with a new pastoral statement on persons with disabilities. A decision was made at their meeting in June, and in talking with our guests this morning, we're expecting to see that most likely before the end of the year, which is very badly needed because it hasn't actually been updated for decades. And that's one of the reasons that we are discussing this this morning. National Catholic Register did a great article on this as well. And I want to thank Deacon Pete from the Diocese of Austin for suggesting this as a topic and giving me our lovely guests this morning, their contact information, Christy Wilkins and Jennifer Kirch. Ladies, thanks for joining us. I want you each, if you could, and Christy, I'll start with you, just a brief summary of your own testimony and why you're so involved with this super important issue in the church. Thanks for joining us this morning. Yeah, thanks for having me, Teresa. I'm really happy to be here. Um, my involvement primarily started around our youngest son, Oscar. Um, he was born typically developing, but at the age of five months began having seizures. And that was the beginning of what our family usually called the long, slow train wreck of diagnoses. And mm. um, so he, at this point, he is seven and a half, and he has um, pretty profound physical and intellectual disabilities. Um, and we have had a lot of really beautiful moments in the church, um, blessing and supporting our family, most notably when we took a pilgrimage to Lourdes with him in 2017 with the Order of Malta. Ah, um, but, amazing. But we've also, yeah. it mm-hmm. was so amazing. It changed everything about our lives and our faith. Um, having said that, we've also had a lot of pretty deep hurts and wounds inflicted, um, both in our experience with Oscar in the church, but also we have some other children who are neurodiverse, who have ADHD and autism. And as they've grown, um, we've seen the ways in which the church does and does not meet their needs, both um, in the liturgy and in catechesis. Okay. Jennifer, I'll give you a chance to, to tell your story, and then, and then we'll talk in terms of what can we do better for families like yours. Jennifer, go ahead, your story. Sounds good, Teresa. Thank you. Um, thanks for having us again. Now, I, um, I was always involved in, I'd say, Catholic social teaching ministry, from pro-life ministry to mission work across the border and various things. Um, but when I actually found myself pregnant, being told I should consider my choices, and I grew up going to Catholic school my whole life, my husband did too, um, we were faced with a very never thought a decision we'd have to make. And um, of course, I was in the doctor's office saying, well, I have already made my decision. Please stop <laughs> um, asking um, at a pre-diagnosis level. And um, we just went ahead with the pregnancy, of course. We w- would have chosen no other way. Um, but then um, after, I wasn't really prepared for um, <laughs> the the reactions of the doctors after having the child, um, my, my son, William, has Down syndrome. He's 11 or 12 years old now. I have two other children as well, uh, one older and one younger. And I had already been on a journey to learn about alternative educational methods. Thank goodness with my daughter, Montessori-based learning and such. Mm-hmm. And um, I was able to apply that to him immediately. But the funny thing is the first thing I thought of when I had him was, oh, no, he's never going to be able to attend Catholic school. Aww. Because both my husband and I did, and I thought, wow, this is going to change the trajectory of our lives, and not just his life, but our children's lives. So, and that's as a family. And I just thought that was an interesting thought that I had. So um, since then, um, you know, by slowly, we've always continued to go to church together. And um, sure, for any mother who has a a toddler in tow, and then you have extra challenges on top of that, it's it's harder to keep a child in church and keep them calm and not get stares, but as the child grows, they start to learn the routine and actually develop a love for the liturgy. And I see that in my son, who's now an altar server, 
Um, and so, again, as Christy said, you know, I found great support and love um, by many priests, deacons, um, other lay people in the church, um, embracing uh, my son and other my other children. Um, but at the same time, there's been hurt, hurtful times, too, um, where it seems there's a barrier. Um, he could be invited, I should say he could be accepted in, but it's not always belonging, right? Mm. And it's um, an active invitation that often seems to be missing. Um, not, and, and I'm not just saying in the, in the physical church, the liturgy, uh, I, I found that to be very welcoming and inviting. It's more in the Catholic school environment that has been a challenge. We're, 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 we've been at this work for a long time, and I have to say the one place we did receive an invitation many years ago is where he ended up going, which is a hybrid Catholic model, Regina Mater is the name of it. And um, she was probably, I went to probably 12 different schools, um, wow. Christian, Catholic. Um, and I asked actually for my daughter, and then I asked for him because I wanted us to be together as a family. Um, and I was told, no, and I mean, people's faces, you know, they'll stay with you forever. It's like, oh, what kind of disability? Oh, Down syndrome. Oh, mm. sorry, we can't do that. And it's just heartbreaking because working in the pro-life ministry, it's kind of like, I thought this is what we're about. Yeah, that's a <laughs> great point. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So, so that led us to now, I mean, it's uh, amazingly, I was with Christy when Oscar had his first seizure at a retreat. Um, so it's amazing how we intersect paths. And as a result of knowing my son, I have gotten to know so many other parents with children Catholic, non-Catholic, with various disabilities. And I think before, I try to always put myself in a position of other parents who don't know and don't see. I mean, I was in Catholic school. My husband was, too. We never encountered a person with a disability or even learning difference for what we could understand. Um, And so for me, it was kind of a fear-based way of living. I didn't know. And so I try to put myself in the shoes of others when they are encountering me and my son and may have different looks or questions and i and i'd like to tell them please come ask ask the questions that you have um please encounter please um by having this experience you're going to be richer for it christy let's go back to you in terms of and and picking up on what jennifer said both of you sharing uh, beautiful stories but also very heartbreaking stories in terms of the lack of acceptance and and people working with you on various levels so then how important with this in mind, with your powerful stories in mind, is it that the bishops have agreed to update their pastoral note on this issue? I know it should come out by the end of the year, correct? Uh, I believe that's the case, and, and I think it's really important on two levels. First of all, it signals that the bishops think this is important, mm-hmm. <laughs> and that in and of itself is a really powerful message. Um, like you said, this document hasn't been updated in, I think it's 45 years. 45 years, yeah. 78, I think it was, 19, yeah. Mm-hmm. 1978. And clearly a lot has changed um, in society and in the disability landscape and in advocacy work in that time. So the fact that the bishops are willing um, to revisit this question and to develop um not necessarily church teaching, but at least the way that it gets implemented in the church around these issues is is really telling and really timely. Um, But on a more micro level, I'm hopeful that the statement that they issue will actually provide concrete guidance on how Mm -hmm. to do this Mm -hmm. well. So it's not just that they're signaling the importance, but I'm really um, hopeful that they will um, take some of those things that they've learned as part of the synodal process um, and just from their own experience and pastoral work with families 
and really bring the expertise in those conversations to bear on developing a document that helps pastors know how to do this work better. Um, one of the common questions I get when I talk to anyone in the church about our son and our situation is, well, tell me what you need. And so that's, on the one hand, it's, a, it's an inviting response, and it's a, I appreciate the response, but it's also a frustrating response because what I need is for there to be collaboration. What I mm-hmm. need is to not always be the one deciding what to do. And so I'm hopeful that this document will provide, if nothing else, a framework for how those conversations can happen more effectively and more fruitfully so that it's more a collaboration and not just one side demanding and one side either accepting or denying those demands. Before we take a break, you have about a minute left, and we're talking with Christy Wilkins and Jennifer Kirsch regarding this issue of uh, really working with families with children with special needs and, and disabilities. Jennifer, have either of you, maybe both of you, are you approaching the bishops to hope that they bring this up uh, in, in future meetings? In addition to this letter, are you hoping that they would bring this up at the Sidon on Sidon Alley, if that's even possible? Have you, have you approached them at all, the USCCB? Um, I was a part of various discussions um, for the Synod on Disability through the, if I get it right, National Catholic Partnership on Disability. Okay. Um, they hosted that, which was great. And um, so I don't, I don't know where that information is gone, but I'm hoping it's being filtered in, I imagine, to the USCCB. Mm-hmm. Um, great. And, and the nice thing about the document, it does address church catechesis, and it does address Catholic schools as well. And from the 1978 document, it did mention, I mean, there's good things within it, of course, but right. like Christy said, I hope it gets more prescriptive in the needs um, of what we need to provide. And so even from a Catholic schooling perspective, they do acknowledge, yes, we should include children, but we also need to provide them the right resources, right? Because yep. that's really important to provide. Hold on one second, ladies. You have to take a break, and we're going to get cut off by the satellite. But I want to refresh uh, and let people know there's a beautiful article that Catholic Register did, and we'll put that on our archive section. We'll give you the title of it as well. We'll be right back. Colossians chapter 1, verse 10. Live a life worthy of the Lord and please Him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, increasing in the knowledge of God. Knowledge by acquaintance is what St. Paul's talking here. We need to increase our acquaintance of God. What can we do to increase our knowledge of God? Well, study scripture, pray fast. But here's the obvious question. Are you increasing in the knowledge of God? Or are you simply kind of staying stable you're living off past encounters. When we speak of increasing our knowledge of God, as I said, you can read all the books you want about God and you'll have lots of information, but it doesn't mean that you'll necessarily become acquainted with him. We need to know God by acquaintance. And that's what lies at the heart of all true religion. Cresta in the afternoon, weekdays at 4 Eastern on EWTN Radio. The following is a medical moment. Hi, I'm Bobby Schindler, brother of Terry Schiavo. A second opinion is when a physician, other than the one currently responsible for your care, reviews your medical records and any test results in order to assess, diagnose, and recommend treatment for you. You have the right and don't need to give a reason to seek a second opinion. And many people do so to simply explore options. You may want to get a second opinion when... Your current physician's recommended treatment doesn't reflect your pro-life values. You want to learn about other possible treatment options and assess risk and benefits. You don't feel that the current healthcare facility is best equipped to handle the treatment. 
A 2017 study by the Mayo Clinic found that 88% of patients that received a second opinion had a new or refined diagnosis or treatment plan. It very well may pay to get an alternative viewpoint to ensure you get the best care possible. This Medical Moment, brought to you by MyLifeAngels.com. Very, very important discussion and ongoing discussion, and the bishops are addressing this as well. Welcoming Persons with Disabilities. National Catholic Register did a beautiful article on this on July 7th. Families Advocates Discuss Ways the Church Can Welcome Persons with Disabilities. Posted on July 7th and written by Loretta Brown. And as I mentioned, we will put a link to this excellent article and summary on our archive section for Catholic Connection. Our guests this morning, two amazing women of God, two sisters in the Lord. We have Christy Wilkins and Jennifer Kirsch. And they're dealing with this on a very personal level, but also reaching out to the wider church to help them understand the needs of families with children with disabilities and special needs and really getting a lot of their conversation this morning. So, so Christy, let's go back to you first in terms of we just started to mention this after you shared your beautiful stories and your witness. People like action items. So if we could give and I'll go to both of you, but Christy, you first. What can we do? What, what's a good action item or more than one that we can do on our own level? I mean, if we, if we micro it down, you know, as you were saying before, to the parish and to our schools, what can we do to help? Mm-hmm. Um, such a great question and, and such a difficult question, but it starts with the very simple things. Like Jen said, a lot of it is just about getting to know the people with disabilities in your own parish. And if you don't see any people with disabilities in your own parish, you should be asking why, because the percentage of people with disabilities in the general population is pretty high. So if you're not seeing them in your parish community or in your school community, um, that's a pretty strong indication that there is a problem. (laughs) Mm. Um, I think, you know, there's there's a lot of well-intentioned people who want to jump right into the ministry piece and the what can we do for you piece, which is great. But I think the most important thing is really listening. So Uh, talking to these families, learning more about their stories, learning more about what their challenges are. And this goes not just for children, but also adults. Um, Are they able to access the sacraments? Are they able to access the physical space of the church? What has their experience been like in RE or catechesis? What is their experience like of the liturgy? Are there are there elements of the liturgy that are actually inaccessible to them, whether it's visual, auditory, um, sensory issues? Um, and so it should be an ongoing conversation. And as you get to know the needs, you can brainstorm so- solutions, but it becomes kind of an iterative process um, so that it's not a top-down approach where you're... Where you start from, oh, we're going to have this sensory-friendly event without talking to the people who might be involved in that event. Um, but it also doesn't stay at the level of just getting to know the person with disabilities and never taking action. It really needs to be a both-and, back-and-forth, iterative process. Those are great points. So, Jennifer, how can this be approached or accomplished? Do we do this by writing articles in the bulletin, having an evening so we can hear from people like you at the parish level or the diocesan level? Because these are really important points that Christy is making. But how do we do this so it's more than just a handful of people that are always doing everything at the parish that are involved? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, in fact, we just brainstormed having a parent workshop in September. And it's not like it should just be one and done type of thing, but at least it networks people and gives people an understanding. So the idea around um, having a panel of parents who have lived it um, or even people who have disabilities to speak to everyone is really 
um, from a Catholic perspective. I think we've all been to secular events that talk about various disabilities and understanding, but there is something unique and different in speaking to the dignity of the human person and the Catholic social teaching as we uncover this and how we're all connected um, and how we're all part of the body of Christ in this. And I think it's okay for people too. Um, a lot of times people either stay back or, you know, try, just try to say pleasantries, which is fine too, but really for them, they're part of the body of Christ too. We're in it together. So I would encourage people to, you know, leap out of their comfort zone and have a personal encounter. Um, ha- try to have have wonder about the person, like, oh, wow, I wonder how, I still remember the story of my son who with Down syndrome who encountered a, a child who was from China, adopted from another family, and he was missing fingers on his hand. And I was like, oh, no, he's staring at his hand. What's going to happen here? Oh, no, I'm so embarrassed. And he asked him, wow, how do you pick up a ball? You know, like he was just sitting there wondering and he asked this innocent question. And I was like, you know what? That's how we all should be, because then it opened up this conversation between the children, between the families. And we got to understand how they adopted him and what a beautiful story it was. So because of these just small wondering questions, it helps us to better uncover um, each other, whomever it may be. It's just a beautiful way, I think, that God intends us to live. The other thing I would suggest, as Christy beautifully mentioned, how we can encounter in church, I would suggest teachers, they, are, they have such an impact in the world, to not be afraid of this. Um, I, I am a teacher and a catechist, and I've had to adjust my understanding of education. Um, and as a catechist and catechesis of the Good Shepherd, I have truly seen the gifts of the children come out through these sensorial ex- experiences that I think are just amazing. And I, I feel like I've received more gifts than they have. But um, just the encounter of children with autism, ADHD, mm-hmm. um, Down syndrome, their, their incredible insight into the little way of, of I just say St. Therese's little right. way, um, they have such insight that the other kids, I mean, I just could see them looking in awe like, wow. And, and right now I feel like seeing these moments, they're hidden. They're in these small, tiny spaces. And I guess that's where Jesus calls us to be in these small, tiny spaces and like the, the little seed. But I feel like they, it needs to grow. Mm-hmm. And the only way to grow is to encounter people in, in where, where they're comfortable because we're constantly bringing our kids out in the world and they probably don't act their very best. <laughs> um, <laughs> we want other people to see them for the gifts that they are. Right. And once I believe they see them in that light, they will be able to better accept them and include them. Well, Christy, this is such a, Jennifer mentioned this earlier with her work in the pro-life movement and, and her work in so, on social teaching. This is such a pro-life issue because I know there can be a connection, and Jennifer even shared this, between the this issue of, of disability and especially with the diagnosis, neurodiagnosis. I've had so many friends, one of my best friends, he was told early on that his, his daughter that they were expecting would might have a cleft palate, a lip, and mm-hmm. the doctor suggested abortion for that. Mm. And uh, it's, you, you see this all the time. So this is directly connected to assisted suicide, abortion, this attitude. It, it, it's just really interesting that it still exists this day in 2023 and we're supposed to be so diverse and inclusive. That is um, a really unfortunate and all too common <laughs> experience, I think. And, and it's, um, you know, one of the common criticisms of the pro-life movement is that we only care about kids before they're born. And I think in some sense, the disability um, movement and the the lack of accessibility of our parishes is ammunition for that argument, right? 
unfortunately. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. I, I also want to, I want to be clear that like when we're talking about accessibility here, we're not talking just about treating people with disabilities as the objects of service, as like targets of people who need to be served. The, the real goal of accessibility is to enable everyone, regardless of ability, to participate as fully as possible right. in the life of the church. And Amen. like Jen has been saying, yeah. people with disabilities have, have gifts to offer. So I think, you know, there are lots of um, inventories available online and checklists and things, and those are often a good place to start. You can just look at your parish and try to find the points of pain. Where are these people with disabilities not able to engage fully in the life of the church? Is it in the sacraments? Is it in stewardship? Is it in um, actual service, liturgical ministry, wherever it is, to try to right. identify those points and then lower the barriers. But we have to work at it, and we have to do this together, and it has to be give and take. Thank you so much, ladies. Beautifully done, and God bless your work. Keep us posted, and we'll be watching for the update of the pastoral letter from the bishops. It's been a great conversation, and again, we'll have the article from the National Catholic Register on this as well. Christy Wilkins and Jennifer Kirch talking to us about working with folks with disabilities. We'll be right back. Do you rely on energy drinks to give you a boost? I'm Chuck Gatica, and this is Journey Strong. Sales of energy drinks continue to grow rapidly, up to $20 billion yearly. Manufacturers are often promoting these drinks as a healthy alternative to other drinks like sugary soda and sports drinks. Energy drinks can be low in sugar and calories, but are high in caffeine. Some 12-ounce energy drinks have 200 milligrams of caffeine. That's about the same as two Red Bulls, two cups of coffee, or six cans of cola. Drinks have even been included in some school lunchrooms. So what's the big deal? Adults should have no more than 400 milligrams of caffeine per day. And doctors recommend that for kids age 12 to 18, no more than 100 milligrams a day. Under age 12, no caffeine at all. It's easy to bust through these suggested amounts daily. Heart and sleep issues can arise. Check out the Journey Strong tab for more on energy drinks at the homepage of AveMariaRadio.net. Father Benedict Groeschel. I usually am operating on the gifts of the Holy Spirit when I don't feel well, even when I'm annoyed, when I'm down and out. During my recovery from the automobile accident, immense numbers of people wrote to me and sent me emails, 50,000, and they told me how helpful they thought my talks on EWTN were to them. I'm delighted, but I want you to know I'm nobody's fool. The talks that were helpful, the sentences that were helpful, the phrases that were helpful came from the Holy Spirit. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. And the styrofoam packaging came from me. I did that. And styrofoam doesn't amount to very much. EWTN. Live truth. Live Catholic. Thirty-nine minutes past the hour on a Wednesday, and you know what that means. We go to the eternal city of Rome to talk with our own Joan Lewis. And Joan, people feel your pain because, as you know, I'm sure you follow the news as you always do on a regular basis here in the states that it's just blistering here in parts of the country. I mean, severely, especially in the southeast and the southwest. So, 
So, uh, familiar temperatures, right? Uh, in, in the triple digits still in Rome and across Italy? Good morning. Thanks for joining us. Oh, yeah. And today's supposed to be the peak. Now, I haven't been out in it, and the only thing I'm going out for, and I will take an air-conditioned taxi, um, we have an event for the parish council and others at our parish tonight. So Father Greg FSL, who was here for 22 years as assistant pastor, then pastor, and then went back to the U.S. in 2019, has been reassigned to Rome and just got back. So we're having a summer party. But when we were putting together dates, there was no triple-digit um, you know, temperatures forecast. But the sad part is the uh, all those fathers have had the apartment that they have here in Rome they've had since 1960 or something like that. And it has a beautiful terrace and the plants and things like that, you know. But it, you just can't sit outside. I mean, if somebody dares to, I don't know. But we'll probably be in the house, the dining room, living room, you know, with A.C. on. Because the thing is, until a few nights, well, like a week ago today, you could go out for dinner at 8 o'clock at night, and by then, temps would be, like, doable. You'd sit mm-hmm. there, there might even be a breeze. Well, I went to La Victoria Monday night, and um, it was like eating my dinner in the oven. So, wow. um, you know, yeah. Just, um, I don't even care that much about eating in this weather. Yeah. Uh, you yeah. know, I mean, you, you stay alive, and drink water by the gallon and iced tea and iced coffee and everything else. But food is, is just not a priority. And certainly mm-hmm. just not when it's hot. It mm-hmm. just seems to take away the, the heat, you know, any desire yeah. to eat. Yeah. And like you and I were talking earlier, the air conditioning here. I have a unit in my office. I have one in my bedroom. The one in my living room, current, which does living room and dining room, um, <clears throat> currently does not work. Oh, and no. so wow. I've been trying to find, I know, an electrician. So, I mean, at night if I'm sitting there and, you know, watching TV or reading or something, I have the fan on, but all the fan does is move hot air. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, it, it's a little, uh, I really appreciate what my, mostly my mom told me when I was a growing up child and would have a disappointment or something in life. And uh, my mom always said, Offer it up for the first <laughs> I was just going to say, my mother would so, say the same thing. It's the first yeah. chapter in my in my yeah. latest book, Everything's Coming Up, Rosie. Offer it up. Put it at the foot of the cross. Yep. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, no, they yeah. had all that wisdom, and so I, I know I've gotten a few souls out this week. So, <laughs> you know, someday they can come back and, and thank me by, you know, by taking care of me. So, yeah. so that's all right. It's, but if you can... Offer it up. I don't know what people who don't have faith do, but yeah. if you can offer it up or talk to your patron saint or something, just um, yeah. well, then the other thing my mother said in difficult moments was, this too shall pass. I, mm. I, and I bet your mom said the same thing. So offer it up for the poor souls. But, honey, this too will pass. Yes, <laughs> so, yes, absolutely. Um, yeah. Well, let's talk about, of course, uh, the other news. We know that uh, we have Cardinal Zuppe, uh, who is uh, in Washington, and I think he wraps up his visit with the president regarding Ukraine and yeah. the situation with children, and that's wrapping up today here in the United States. Yeah, he, uh, he got there on the 17th, and and um, the White House announced that day that he would be meeting uh, with the president on the 18th, which was yesterday, and then they issued a statement which said they had met um, and 
President Biden shared his wishes for Pope Francis's continued ministry and global leadership, and he welcomed the recent nomination of U.S. Archbishop as Cardinal. Of course, that would be uh, Archbishop uh, Prevost, who's going to who does head the dicastery for bishops. So he was Chicago-born. Anyway, um, so Cardinal Tsuki and the president also discussed the Holy See's efforts providing humanitarian aid to address the widespread suffering caused by Russia's continuing aggression in Ukraine, as well as the excuse me, as well as the Vatican's advocacy for the return of forcibly deported children. And then uh, Vatican News had a related uh, a story related to this, and and they, the figures they put out. They said uh, the return of the estimated 19,000 Ukrainian children who've been brought to Russia since the renewed invasion on February 24th, 2022. So that's a, um, a, a pretty big number. I think I've, I, I've read that in similar numbers elsewhere. But mm-hmm. anyway, the Cardinal did go to D.C. with a, an official from the Vatican Secretariat of State. And the one thing I don't know about Cardinal Zuppi, he was for many years an auxiliary bishop in Rome. And uh, he was an auxiliary for that part of the city, which covers our St. Patrick's Parish. So um, really a, a very good man, very well respected. But uh, the only thing I don't know about him is if he speaks English. So he might have gone with an English-speaking person from the Secretary of State. And then the Cardinal did meet on Capitol Hill with several members of Congress. So, um, you know, that's also a good a good sign. And then the nuncio to the U.S., who's also a Cardinal-elect, uh, um, Archbishop Gare, he said that Zuby's mission is to open a dialogue, to listen and be listened to. And he said he hopes, uh, said Pope Francis hopes to contribute to peace and more specifically to finding inroads on humanitarian grounds, particularly with regard to children. So he said the Cardinal is very realistic and we try to do what we can. And in life, my dear, that's all you can do, isn't it? Right. Do what you can. Mm-hmm. So, well, it's you know. it's um, it's uh, interesting because it's getting a lot of press here uh, in the United States, as you can imagine, the visit of Cardinal Zuppi. And I think that especially the emphasis on the children and, and the cluster bomb situation. So there's a lot of different topics and discussion points that are coming out of this meeting. And it'll be interesting how this all wraps up. Oh, yeah. Yeah. No, it can't. But uh, the, I mean, sometimes you say to yourself, oh, gosh, there's just words. Mm-hmm. But in, in diplomacy, you can't, you don't pick up arms. Your only arms are words, yeah. phrases, trying to persuade, cajole, uh, cajole uh, you know, make people understand uh, and share your, your point of view. So mm-hmm. diplomacy is not certainly one of the easiest things. I'm sure there's moments when any living diplomat has wanted to pound his fist on the table and say, listen to me, yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. but yeah. That's, that's not how it works. Right, and we know perception often is is reality, and so you also need to to, to yeah. show. Uh, I mean, I'm saying not saying it's just perception, but this effort of of making uh, you know this this outreach to uh, leaders in the United States is super important. I wanted to talk about a couple things with the Pope. Of course, he's on his so-called staycation. Right, has a few meetings. But what's yeah. what's the latest with the Holy Father? And well, he's done different things, um, and uh, it's really interesting because. Some days we in the media who get an email every morning about 10 with all the provisions of the day, uh, the um, uh, 
events of the day of the Pope, who he's going to receive, where he's going to go, or whatever. And so even though he's on supposedly a, a resting vacation, and as the Vatican said on January, excuse me, on June 28th, when they announced his vacation, you know, all audiences, private and uh, individual, will be canceled, <laughs> excuse me, and um, except for the angels. So, of course, we've seen a ton of audiences and um, and different events that the Pope has, has been to, and I know he was at the summer camp, uh, that of what they call the Vatican summer campus. Mm-hmm. It's kids from, I think, 5 to, to uh, 13 years of age. And, I saw and, that. And all this yeah. takes place in... Yeah, in the air-conditioned, um, you know, Paula Six Hall. So, um, but we know the Pope's been busy because, of course, we saw the new Cardinals last week. And um, <clears throat> I have to tell you, the story that most um, has, has struck me this week has been the one about China. Uh, um, I'm sure our listeners know but may not remember that in uh, September 22, 2018, the Holy See and the uh, China, the government of China, the communist government of China, signed um, a, an agreement on the naming and transferring of bishops. And the, the agreement, my dear, has never been made public. But all we know is that it basically touches on the issue of, um, <clears throat> excuse me, of the Chinese are supposed to be able to name or transfer a bishop, but the Pope is supposed to have the final word on it. Well, that's not what has been happening. And it was last Saturday the Pope made a stunning appointment. I just nearly fell out of my chair. This should have been his quiet weekend at home. What does he do with the third earthquake of July? He approved the appointment of Bishop Joseph Shen Bin of Shanghai. And three months ago, he was installed by the Chinese Communist authorities without the Vatican and the papal approval. And, of course, the Holy See was very upset three months ago, April, when this happened. And uh, now what's happening, they went ahead, the Chinese uh, communist officials, and appointed Joseph Shen to Shanghai. We actually transferred him from another diocese to Shanghai. And it's like, what can the Holy Father do? So many people saw this as the Holy Father giving in to the Chinese authorities. But it's not the first time that they've just had to say, oh, yeah, so <clears throat> I guess we have to approve that. Now, as I said, this agreement has never been made public. But, Teresa, it's been routinely criticized over the years because it has somewhat of a lopsided character that so far has seemed to favor the, the Chinese. Now, in fairness, I, I guess fairness is not the right word, but on Saturday, along with the Pope's approval of this already done deed, uh, Secretary of State Cardinal Pietro Parolin, in a very highly unusual explanatory note published in Vatican News, he said the Pope, quote, wanted to remedy the canonical irregularity created in Shanghai in view of the greater good of the diocese and the fruitful exercise of the bishop's pastoral ministry. His intention, the Pope's, is fundamentally pastoral and will allow the bishop to work with greater serenity to promote evangelization and foster ecclesial communion. Well, I mean, I, I hate to say it, but that's really what you would have to say. If, if What could the Pope do mm-hmm. if he, you know, 
went behind the scenes and tried to say to the, uh, I can't approve of this action you've already done. China wouldn't listen to that. Now, I do have to say that in part of uh, his statement, Cardinal Parolin, he chided China because he said it's indispensable that all Episcopal appointments in China, including transfers, which this was, be made by consensus as agreed, as agreed in the original um, agreement, and to keep alive the spirit of dialogue between the parties. Yep. Together, we must prevent disharmonious situations that create disagreements and misunderstandings. And I have to say, I've been following China things for years. You know, I've spent quite some time in mainland China. I've spent a couple of weeks in Taiwan. I have followed the situation since the mid-90s. But um, I do love what the Catholic Herald had to say about the Holy See China Provisional Agreement, the one from 2018, renewed in 2020 and 2022. <laughs> the headline was, How Much Faith Should Rome Place in a Deal Which China Routinely Flouts? Mm. And, and Teresa, we, you and I know, we've talked about it. China closes churches. They don't allow anybody 16 or under to go to church. They've right. taken crosses off of churches. And they've put bishops and priests in prison. So, I mean, where does this end? And exactly as that headline said, just how much faith should Rome place in a deal which China routinely flops? So mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I don't know the answer to that, but I'm certainly going to pray that Bishop Shen is guided by the Holy Spirit of the one true Catholic apostolic church, and that the government does not interfere uh, too much, anyway, with his work. So... Well, it and sounds like, and I, I'm reading, I'm reading um, some quotes. And we're, we're out of time, unfortunately, but I'm reading some quotes from a very good article on Vatican News, an interview that Perrin did. And you, you're right; he took China to task, and basically saying that they're putting the Pope between a you know rock and a hard place, as we would say in America. So the Pope trying to make sure he doesn't make a bad situation already worse for the people there. But there's still some questions that remain. Joan, great discussion. Appreciate it. Joan Jerome at WordPress.org. We'll be right back. WordPress.com. We'll be right back. You and your spouse are invited to cruise with Royal Caribbean this January, along with Father Michael Schmitz, Archbishop Nauman, Al, Teresa, Dr. Ray, and many others. Get away with your spouse on a fun, relaxing, and rejuvenating cruise with inspiring speakers, daily mass, and endless memorable experiences. Father Michael Schmitz comments, you'll encounter an amazing community of couples and speakers, and most importantly, you'll encounter Christ. More details at AveMariaRadio.net. Just click the travel link. As a Catholic dad, I know how frustrating parenting can be, but it doesn't have to be that way anymore. I'm Dr. Greg Popchak from More to Life, inviting you to become a premium member of Catholic Home. That's CatholicHOM.com. It's an online community dedicated to supporting faithful parents like you. At Catholic Home, you can chat with our team of family life coaches every day, get expert support with discipline issues, self-care, creating a stronger marriage, living your faith at home, or just coping with the stress of being a Catholic parent in today's world. In addition to the personalized expert support you'll get as a premium member of CatholicHOM.com, you'll get access to tons of creative resources, entertaining videos that teach your kids how to get along with each other and love the Lord, downloadable activities, monthly live parenting Q&As, a supportive community of faithful Catholic parents, and tons of other benefits, like my Bedatitudes podcast. Go to CatholicHOM.com today and become a premium member of the Catholic Home Community. Again, that's CatholicHOM.com. I can't wait to see you there. 
People ask how they can care for older family members who can't fully care for themselves. One answer is Visiting Angels, America's choice in senior home care. Visiting Angels assists adults nationwide with 600 locations to continue living at home and not have to move into a nursing home. Their caregivers provide assistance in hygiene, meals, and light housework. Services are provided up to 24 hours per day, and you can select your caregiver before service begins. More information, including franchise opportunities, is on the web at visitingangels.com. Thanks so much for tuning in to the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. Coming up tomorrow, the one, the only, speaking of EWTN, Father Mitch Pacwa joining us for our cultural connections. This story you're not going to believe, but maybe you will, about a particular administration referred to abortion as sacred. Plus, Steve Ray with us, all about St. Elijah. Have a great Wednesday. We'll talk to you Adamani tomorrow. You've been listening to Catholic Connection with Teresa Tamio. Catholic Connection is a co-production of Ave Maria Radio and EWTN Radio and carried across the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. Our producer is Andrew Kruchek. For copies of this program or for more information, visit AveMariaRadio.net. That's A-V-E Maria Radio.net. Thanks for listening and join us next time for another edition of Catholic Connection.